Are you awake? All right, praise God. Please turn with me to Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2. The famous Messianic Psalm. Starting in verse 7, this is a dialogue that Father God is having with Jesus. Way before Jesus even came on the scene, it was given to the psalmist. We could say it was, it's prophetic in nature. Verse 7 says, I will declare the decree, which is, of course, the decree of the Lord. The Lord has said to me, Father God has said to me, said to Jesus, You are my son today. I've begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possessions. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for these dynamic days in which we're living. Lord, there's such a shift. There's such a change. Lord, everything is ramping up so quickly, Lord. And we get to be a part of this, my Lord. Lord, again, it's uncharted waters that we're on. We've never been down this way before. And so we ask God, even today in this message today, just guide us, guide us, direct us, guide me and direct me in what you'd have me to say. And give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying. We love you. We honor you. And everyone said, amen. amen. Praise the Lord. If I've told you this story once, I've told it to you probably about a thousand times. And some of you that have been around for a while, you're going, here he goes again. But I can't help it because this keeps on coming up in my spirit as I'm praying about these days that we're in. It was a late summer, early fall day in 1989. It was hot and it was humid that day. And for weeks, I've been feeling restless in my spirit. Has anybody ever been there before? Yeah. Where you're just sensing in your spirit, man, that God is about ready to say something that's going to change your life. So finally, after lunch one day at work, I told my boss, would you mind if I just took the afternoon off? The boss said, sure. So I went home to our humble apartment in Altoona, Wisconsin. And I got shut in with God. I prayed. And see, since the age of 12, the Lord had been moving on my heart as a good Lutheran boy to go into ministry. I've always loved God. I've always known his hand was upon me, even though I didn't, I didn't know anything about a relationship in my way. I had a relationship with him. Luckily for us, we lived within walking distance of the church. And I would oftentimes, when I get done with school, just walk to the church and go up into this big balcony of this huge Lutheran church. And I would just spend hours with God. So that, at age 12, I felt like he was calling me to ministry, but I didn't want to be a preacher. Has God ever told, called you to do something and you just didn't want to do it? Or do something and you just didn't want to do it? How does that work? 
after a while, you, you can't kick against the goads anymore. And you finally have to say, uncle, I give, right? And so on that day, I did. And I said, God, forgive me. I'd already gone to college. I got a four-year degree from UW-Stoughton Hospitality Management. I had a business minor. I was ready to make it big in the hotel business. I thought, you know what? I remember driving to UW-Stoughton, the 30-mile commute that I had every day because I lived at home with my parents in Eau Claire. And every, every day that I got in my car, my little Chevette, I, I drove that so much, put so many miles on it, that thing was just limping by the time I got it to the dealership to trade up for another one when I finished school. But I remember... Uh, I, I just remember that I didn't, I didn't want to preach. One thing, I wasn't good in school. I could barely read and write when I went to college. <laughs> Ask Teresa. When we first started meeting, my spelling was atrocious. <laughs> how, can I, how can I be a, a preacher? All I knew as preachers did is they preached. I thought, how can I do that, Lord? No way. And on that day, I said, okay, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll go wherever you want me to go. Whatever you desire, I'll do. I'm done kicking against the goads. I'll do whatever you want. If you're going to be Lord, you're going to have to be Lord of everything. So I just give it to you. And then I prayed the most, the most amazing prayer. And it wasn't for me. It was from the Lord. And I said, Lord, send me to the darkest place of the world where your light can shine the brightest. But Lord, please don't send me to Africa. That's exactly what I prayed, because I thought Africa, forgive me, as a, forgive me, Isaac, Africa's a great place. It's a wonderful place. But at that time, what I knew of Africa wasn't too, too impressive. I didn't want to serve there. So I said, Lord, just send me wherever you want. I'll do whatever you desire. Send me to the darkest place of the world where your light can shine the brightest. Within eight months, Teresa and I, at that point, five years newly wed, we crammed everything into a, the smallest U-Haul we could get because it's the only thing we could afford. And like the Clampets and Beverly Hillbillies, we made our way through the winding road of Minnesota 60 because we thought that was the, the shortest route to get here from Eau Claire. Winding through that road, we made it to Rochester, Minnesota. The last thing I had on my mind, even though I said that prayer eight months earlier, was to fulfill ministry. That was, that was the, I thought it was for my dream job. Because I got a job at the Kaler Hotel and I thought I had arrived. You know, when we are called to a calling, which is also a divine assignment from God... Oftentimes that calling brings with it, or it's linked to a certain location. I didn't even realize that when I was praying that. That's why I know it was of the Holy Ghost. Send me to the darkest place where your light can shine the brightest. Don't send me to Africa. Oftentimes it's linked to that certain place of jurisdiction where God would have you fulfill out that calling. Adam's call... His divine assignment was to tend and to keep. And his jurisdiction was what? The Garden of Eden. Abraham's call was to be the father of many nations. His jurisdiction was not to be his hometown, the Earl of the Chaldees. But to fulfill that, 
he had to go where Father God was sending him. Moses' call was to be a deliverer for the nation of Israel. The discovery of this divine call did not come in the confines of Pharaoh's palace, but it only came in the backside of that dusty, arid desert where he encountered God as the great I am in that burning bush. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, calling to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Yet his earthly ministry when he was here was only to the lost house of the children of Israel. Now let's fast forward 30 years to today. 30 years later, I can tell you God has been good. He has preserved us these 30 years that this ministry has been in existence. We have seen God save people. We have seen God heal people. We have seen God deliver people. We have seen God be faithful and true. And our desire under Pastor Dan and now under myself is we want to have a ministry where the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ, his voice can be heard. Not our voice, but his voice. We want a ministry where his face can be seen, where his presence can be seen, where people can have an encounter with him. Because let me tell you something, he's the only one that can change us. He's the only one that can transform us. We got to get out of the way so he can have his way, you understand. And we want to have a ministry where his touch is felt. Listen, if we can't have a ministry where his voice is heard, where his face is seen and his touch is felt, then we don't have ministry at all. We just have a social club. We need the Lord. This greater Rochester area needs the Lord. And Jesus Christ is his name. It isn't River of Glory, and it certainly isn't Pastor Pete or Pastor Dan. It's Jesus Christ in him glorified. It's Jesus Christ that we lift up. It's Jesus Christ that will come and save and heal and deliver it. And he's the one that's done it all. And just as Jesus began his earthly ministry, on his 30th year of age, I truly believe the ministry assignment God has placed on this house is just beginning. I sense strongly in my spirit that we are on the cusp of a divine kairos. It's quickly approaching. I feel it so much. I have to share it with you. I cannot hold it back. What does kairos mean? In the Greek, it translates three things. Number one, it, it speaks of the right time. Number two, it speaks of the appointed season. And number three, it speaks of the opportune moment. The right time. The appointed season. The opportune moment. Apostle Dwayne Swilly when he was here in September, on September 11th, 2021, said this, God can do one event, one decision, and everything changes. This is, by definition, a Kairos moment. He went on to say this divine appointment. I thank you, God, that they begin to think territory. He was speaking of you and me. We were beginning to think territory as a church. They begin to see God, uh, see like God sees in the name of Jesus. He went on to say you are not caught up in that. He said, don't get caught up in the how, but just know 
who you are. Do we know who we are? Well, yeah, I'm Peter Barbie, and I live in Rochester, Minnesota. No, that might be partly true, but I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ. And my citizenship is in heaven. And I don't live by the flesh alone, but I live in the faith of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the one who loved me and gave himself for me. Come on, believer. we got to realize that we've been crucified with Christ and our identity isn't the big thing anymore. But it's his identity in us. Now that is the thing that matters. And so this Kairos moment, he says, you need to know who you are. Don't get caught up on the how. How many of us get caught up in the how? How is God going to do this? How is it going to happen? What do I need to do? Come on, we all get caught up in the how, don't we? But he says, just know who you are. He went on to say that the Lord is taking this territory. Somebody should shout hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. I said, God is taking this territory, church. He is taking it and he's making a spectacle of you and me. He's making a spectacle for, of us, of his kingdom. He said a positive spectacle. People will say, oh my goodness, there is something going on there. That man is doing something. That church is doing something. And they'll be drawn by the spirit to see what's going on. Hallelujah. He went on to say, it's going to be a spectacle. People are going to say, come and see, come and taste and see that the Lord is good. And this whole territory, the greater Rochester area, this whole territory, our jurisdiction, the place that I said, God, send me to the darkest place in the world where your light can shine the brightest, but don't send me to Africa. He sent us here to Rochester, Minnesota. This is our jurisdiction, church. This is our place of ministry. This is what he wants us to turn upside down for the glory of God. And so... There's a divine shift happening right now. I sensed it during our 14 days of uh, breakthrough when we were praying and fasting. I I just sensed it so strongly. There there was like a divine shift in the mindset of this ministry. There is a new paradigm that's etched by the finger of God upon our hearts. We're beginning to think territory church. And we're beginning to see as God sees. And let me tell you something that I've discovered as the Lord's been showing me things about territory. When you begin to think in these realms, you shift from the defensive and maintenance mindset of yesterday that keeps you stagnant now into an offensive, progressive, creative mindset that has tomorrow in its sights and begins to accelerate in its seizure of the territory at a supernatural rate. If we stay with the old mindset, then we just let things happen. We let circumstances rule us. We let situations rule us. Well, that's just the way it is, you know. We've tried this before and that didn't work. We did this before and that didn't work. Oh, nothing's going to work. And then before long, when we don't see things happening, it says in Galatians, Paul says we start biting each other. We start biting each other because we have too much time on our hands. And we start attacking one another and saying, well, it's because of Joseph. It's his fault, you know. (laughs) If he wasn't such a seer and saying all these prophetic things that the Lord's showing him all the time, we wouldn't have any problems. Oh, no, no, no. no. It's really Gil's fault because you know what? He's out there beating the bushes and, and he's standing up for the things of righteousness. No, it's Gil's fault. 
No, it's Mary's fault because she's too vocal. Do you, do you hear her when she starts singing sometimes that she's just too vocal? She needs to just calm down and be quiet. Or it's Marilyn. Her mouth is always going. That Marilyn, I'm telling you. Or it's Brenda. Don't get her up in front of a microphone to testify because we know we're going to be here all day. And we love you, Brenda. But can you see how things, these things happen? We start biting each other and accusing each other and criticizing each other. The devil gets in. He gets his foot in. Why? Because we're not taking territory. Amen. We're too busy being on the defensive and allowing the devil just to do whatever he wants. But let me tell you something, church. That day has changed. Amen. Those of you that follow sports, you know, when you're on the defensive, whoever has the momentum is on the offensive. And they control the tempo of the game. We are not going to let the devil control the tempo Amen. of our, what God has called us to do in ministry. Amen. No, we're not. Look at your neighbor and say, we're not going to do that. That's the old mindset. You know, church should be the highlight, the highlight of the week. We should be so excited to come to the house of the Lord. We can't wait. We have a hard time falling asleep at night because we're thinking about what God's going to do the next day. How many have that excitement? Be, be honest with me. How many have that excitement? Yeah. <clears throat> Couple hands. Oh yeah, Pastor Pete's going to preach the same old thing again. Nothing's going to happen. The music group is going to do their same old thing again. You know, we're going to take communion again. Yeah, da, 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 da. Did you hear that song? I love that song. Make room for God. Break down the walls of all of our traditions. Break down the walls of all of our religion. Your way is better, God. Your way is better. And that's why I say we are traveling on uncharted waters. We are not going to stay in that old wineskin again. Because God has put new wine in us. And he's expecting us to go into this new wineskin and allow him to shape us and form us and take us to where he wants to take us. Because he's placed us in this jurisdiction, the greater Rochester area, not to sit here and let the devil have a heyday. But we are to be on the offensive and go after it with everything that's within us. Oh, that's Pastor Pete. He's just getting emotional again. There's a call to possess territory. Possessing territory begins and is maintained on our knees. In Ephesians 3.20, one of my favorite verses, now to him, he's speaking of God, Elohim, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, the three in one. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, it's according to the power that works in us. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above anything that we can think or imagine, it says in, in the Amplified. And it's according, it's according, there's a conditional, to the power of God that is working inside of us. Paul uh, Bilheim Hammer, in his book, The Technique of Spiritual Warfare, says this, quote, the church holds the balance of power in world affairs. Even now, in this present throbbing moment, by means of her prayer power and the extent to which she uses it, the praying church is actually deciding the course of human events. Gil, we can't, we, we can't, com we can't complain 
about what the church has allowed. If we would have been on our knees praying like we should have been doing years ago, we wouldn't be in this predicament we are today. We have the power of Almighty God inside of us. It's got to be released. It happens when we're on our knees before God in humility, crying out to him with everything that's within us. Well, I just can't get into prayer. Well, then keep on being on the defensive and don't see anything happen in your life. Because that's exactly what you're going to get. It's nothing. I don't know about you, but I like to win. I'd really rather win than lose. Most of my life, I've lost. I want to start winning. I want to start winning. How about you? I want to start winning for Jesus Christ. Because he's made us winners. He's made us champions in Christ. Hallelujah. So prayer is the key. And in these, in these next few weeks, as the Lord has me present this series, by the way, the name of this series is Possessing Territory, Expanding the Kingdom. I'm going to be spending a lot on intercession. What is prophetic intercession? What does it mean to be on our knees? What does travailing mean? What does it mean to pray through? What does it mean to contend? It's not going to be for the faint of heart, and some of you are probably saying, ooh. ooh." Normally, most pastors would probably reserve this just for their prayers. But I want all of us to become prayers. I want all of us to become prayers. And so that's the mindset that's going to take and shift us from being on the defensive to being on the offensive. But you got prayer on Saturday morning at 8 o'clock, that's the only, or 8.30, that's the only time I can sleep in. Yes, I know. My flesh doesn't like it either, but I still get out of bed because I know I'm going to have an appointment with God. There are questions regarding being on the offensive stance against the enemy. Some people would say, are we supposed to take an offensive stance against the enemy? Some say, should we just wait until he actually finds us and we find ourselves in a place of crisis that we should contend with him? Does the New Testament have anything to say about warring against principalities and powers? What are territorial spirits? Did Jesus ever war against these high-level spiritual powers of wickedness? Do we have biblical backing to make a case for spiritual warfare and actually tearing down the walls of the enemy? If so, who should participate? How do we go about doing it? in a safe, balanced way? These are all valid questions that I, I trust we're going to be able to unpack in the weeks ahead. But I have to ask you, especially my prayers here in this church, you need to cover me and Teresa and our family in prayer. Because whenever a preacher starts speaking on spiritual warfare, literally all hell breaks loose. Just this week, our little dookie, our little male wiener dog, got really, really sick. We took him to the vet, and the vet said, oh, oh, it might be congestive heart failure. We don't know. I said, I come against that in the name of Jesus. 
But it's things like this. Things start breaking down. There's financial attacks. Literally all hell breaks loose. So please keep us in prayer. And keep the body in prayer too. I know we're hitting a nerve. But we have to hit the nerve. Because that's what the Lord would have us do. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, this is okay. <laughs> the divine call from God is to claim our territory. There is a deep call right now from God to pray for our jurisdiction, to take back the territory that he's assigned us to, to take back first the greater Rochester area, then our county, then our state, then our nation, and then impact the world. Do you realize, church, we have the world coming to Rochester, Minnesota because of the Mayo Clinic? No wonder the devil hasn't wanted a strong witness in this area for Jesus. The tagline in our healing rooms ministry, Sue, say it nice and loud so everybody can hear it. Oh, this is Jackie. Okay, I've been giving you credit all the time. Go ahead, say it nice and loud. Come for the medical, stay for the miracle. Come on, you guys. That's awesome, isn't it? I believe God is, because he's been sharing stuff in prayer about that. We're going to see things like we've never seen before. Get ready. It's going to get wild. In, in Psalm uh, 2.8, it's our rallying cry, the text that I started. That's our series text. And if we're hearing this call, the Lord is saying to us, ask of me. And I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. We are in a holy war for the souls of men and women right now. We are wrestling in heavenly places against an enemy who is, who is relentless in his desire to steal, kill, and destroy. He is a master of his, of his craft. He wants to pervert the kingdom of God and God's design for his for his kingdom and the nations. He has undermined the rule, the rule of the kingdom of light, and he established up thrones and dominions all across the world. And do you know what his number one weapon is against the church? Passivity. Just get the church to be passive, nonchalant. Just get them concerned about their life here on earth. And not to think about anyone else but themselves. Just let them just be easy. Just take it easy. Don't stir the boat. And so because of that, he's been able to pick up a lot of ground. We have to reverse that. There are many different areas of spiritual warfare. And I believe in this series, the Lord would have us to focus on high-level warfare. What's high-level warfare? This is warfare that happens in the heavenly realms, in the unseen realm, where we cannot see. But there are demons or fallen angels and God's angels that are warring in the heavenlies. And they're, and they're contending because there's two kingdoms. Say two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of light. Amen. Glory to God that we're born again into. It's the kingdom of God. And God has his angels, and they're given to us as it says in Hebrews 1.14, as part of our inheritance so we can be victorious and do what God's called us to do 
to fulfill our divine assignment in the jurisdiction he's called us to. Right now, there are angels that are given charge over each and every one of us. And as we prayed in Psalm 91, they keep us in all of our ways lest we would dash our foot against a stone. Aren't you glad that God has given us angels charge over us? But the kingdom of darkness has fallen angels, which we can also call demons. They are the ones that rebelled with Satan and were kicked, a third of the angels were kicked out of heaven. And they came down into that second realm, the second heavenlies. And they, as well, are assigned to certain jurisdictions to pervert the minds and the wills of people that live in that area. Let me give you an example. When we first moved to Rochester, my first day that I walked into the Kaler Hotel, which is connected to the Mayo Clinic, as I walked through those doors, I felt something really weird. It felt like my mind was in a vice. And that vice was just cranking and getting tighter and tighter and tighter and squeezed. And I felt such intellectual, intellectual, um, it was like an intellectual bias, right? Where I felt immediately as I walked through that door, and yeah, I was young in Christ, but yet I knew who I was in Christ, but yet that spirit was doing a number in my mind, making me, reducing me down to like a crust of bread or a little worm. It was crazy. There were times when Teresa and I would leave Rochester and we would, we would go to Eau Claire to visit family. And as soon as we left the city limits, that spirit would lift. As soon as we came into Rochester, there it was again. We got to the point when we came into Rochester, we said, we're back. <laughs> we had a traveling ministry. At one time, Teresa and I, we didn't travel that much. But we had opportunity to go. And whenever we'd go to a certain city, I would always ask the Lord, show me what I'm up against. I need to know. <laughs> I need to know what I'm up against. Because we don't battle against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities of wickedness in high places, as it says in Ephesians. And I remember there was a church down in Cherokee, Iowa. The pastor... On a Wednesday night, they went to go see where the pastor was. Everybody came to church, and the pastor wasn't there, and his wife was out of town at the time. And so they go over to his house. They ended up just somebody, one of the elders just took the service, and they thought, well, we better check on the pastor. So they went over to the pastor's house, and here they found him dead. He died of a heart attack laying on the floor in the living room. So they were without a pastor. And the organization that we were a part of that time, we caught wind of it. And I asked Pastor Dan, do you mind if Teresa and I just go down there and minister a few Sundays till they find a pastor? And he said, sure. So we would do that. And the first night that we drove in there, and we stayed with the, the pastor's wife, the widow. And I mean, she talked our ear off because she was so lonely. Bless her heart. But I remember when I went to try to go to bed that night, I just heard screaming going on. I thought, are you kidding me? I looked to Teresa and she was sound asleep. But I looked, but I just, I just felt such an eerie feeling around there. And finally, the next day I said to the pastor's wife, I said, what is it about this area? What is this area known for? And she goes, well, it's the state mental hospital. I go, okay. Now I know why that screaming and why that oppressive, depressive spirit was trying to get me. We had a chance to go up to 
upstate New York to Candesota, New York, and minister up there. When we drove into that, that little town, I thought, wow, all of a sudden I just got ugly. I thought, what's going on? I looked at Teresa and I just wanted to bite her head off. I don't know why. And usually I'm a nice person. But anyway, um, we went to the church and I never felt uh, so much uh, animosity. There was, there was absolutely no love in that house. There was no love in that city. People were the most rudest, shortest people. They were very curt. Well, that was, see, these are all territory spirits, territorial spirits that are over areas. And I'm going to show you next week, because I'm running out of time, I'm going to show you next week that when Jesus identified with you and me in water baptism, in Matthew chapter 3, when he identified with you and me, because that's what water baptism is all about, identification. We, when we're water baptized, we identify fully that Jesus Christ is our Lord. Amen? And before we go in the waters, we're the old man. But when we go into the waters, the old man and all of the sin, the iniquity, uh, the, the transgressions, everything that we were before Christ is left in that water. And then when we come up, we come up in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it's all about identification. Well, you remember Jesus came to John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3, and he said, I need to be baptized. John looks at him, he goes, are you kidding me? You don't need to be baptized. You're the one who should be baptizing me. Jesus said, no, 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 you don't understand. Permit it to be so because all of righteousness needs to be fulfilled. What was Jesus talking about? Jesus had identified with us 100%. He was 100% God with all of his God qualities. He went into that water and was baptized, and he came up in the form of man, you and I. What happens to Jesus immediately after that? He gets He's led by the Spirit up to the mountain to be tempted for 40 days. Jesus' first thing that he did before he started earthly ministry in its full was to engage in spiritual warfare. And I'm going to talk about that next week. So, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. God's good, isn't he? Such a new mindset, I'm telling you. It's incredible. I want you to stand to your feet. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for today. We thank you, God, for the wonderful transforming work you're doing in each and every one of us, God. There's truly a reason that you've gathered us here, Lord. It's not by chance that we're assembled together as a, as a unified body to do your will, to see your kingdom come and to see your will be done. Father, I lift up every one of these precious saints I cover them in the blood of Jesus. I thank you that no weapon formed against any of us can prosper. I thank you, Lord, that everything that their hands touch this week will prosper, that you will bring openings and opportunities for them to share the goodness of you, God. And I give you glory that they are fruitful in everything that they do. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You need, really? She's in the hospital. What's wrong? All right. Hallelujah. How many believe that God can heal her? Amen. How many, know, how many know there's no distance in the spirits? We're in that hospital room with her. 
Oh, Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we come as united front, Lord, before your throne. We lift up our sister Marlene. We declare and we decree that by the stripes you bore upon your back, Jesus, Marlene is healed. We bind that spirit of infirmity that's trying to take her out. We need her. We thank you, God, for your resurrection life and power that's inside of her being. It's, it's, it's uh, uh, resurrecting every part of her, right down to every cell in her body. We thank you, God, that you are true to your word and you are watching over your word. Beloved, you wish above all things that Marlene would prosper and be in health even as her soul prospers. We speak to her mind, will, and emotions, and we thank you, God, that you're lifting her up in this time, Lord. And we just thank you, God. Continue to have us in prayer. Bring her to